realize I was going to have to follow that. <laughs> My work is cut out for me, Father. Thank you, first of all. Um, thank you for your service. Thank you for your talents. Um, thank you for your gift of time to come and be together at this summit. I think that uh, your pastors, your bishop, uh, the, the ladies and gentlemen that, that fill the pews of your churches are incredibly grateful for the sacrifices that we all know as working for the church that we put in. And the reality is if we work for the church, um, our, our, our retirement plan is out of this world, but we don't always get paid so, so well, right? Uh, but, um, but thank you really for being here and, and, to, and, and as Father said, to cast out into the deep uh, this, this weekend. Let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, be with us. Fill this room. Enliven the hearts. Set us on fire. Allow us to be more fit instruments in spreading your kingdom, your gospel to the ends of the earth. Allow us to use everything that you've given us, everything that you've, you've taught us to reach out to all those people who are lost, who are searching for you. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to be with us. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to continue to call us, even in the midst of our deafness, in the midst of our stubbornness, keep asking us to set out into the deep and to lower our nets. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To start off with, really, I, I want to I start with what stewardship looks like in, in my diocese. All right? So I'd like to, to, I come from the Wichita Diocese, Wichita, Kansas, which is an incredibly blessed place. And I really believe that, that we have an incredible blessing within our bishops, within our presbyterate, within our, our, our people, and the spirit is very, very, very much moving. So let's talk about just a couple of little stats, all right? And then I'll get off of that topic and, and talk about why I'm, I'm mentioning these things. The first thing is that our presbyterate, our priests, the average age is around 44 years old. It's our average priest age, and it's dropping dramatically. We just ordained 10 to the priesthood this last year and 10 transitional deacons. So next year, God willing, we will have 10 more priests to, to join that presbyterate. The national, daily, the national Sunday mass attendance is around 24%. In the Diocese of Wichita, it's 52%. And the people of the Diocese of Wichita were angry when they heard that statistic. We are better than that, they said. I cannot believe that it's that low. 
That's crazy. And I think that we would all sit there and go, 24, 52, whatever it is, that's, that's ridiculous. Where are we going here, you know? We also have adoration chapels throughout our diocese. Actually, about 42% of our churches within our diocese have perpetual adoration. And 62% of them have adoration for a certain number of days a week, not perpetual. I will attest that my parish only has 580 families, give or take, and we have perpetual adoration. And I get fed up because every time I go to adoration, there's like five other people in there. And I just want some personal time with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a ridiculous problem to have. It's a ridiculous problem to have. Our diocese tops uh, the nation usually within, at least within the top five dioceses within the nation of number of seminarians per capita, and, uh, per, per number of Catholics. And a real kicker is we have uh, four Catholic high schools and many, many parochial Catholic grade schools, all of which K through 12 are tuition free. It is a commitment by our priests, by our bishop, to provide a Catholic education to our students. Now, you might look at that in particular and say, wow, let's go study that, right? And there are people from all over the nation that come to Wichita just to observe. How does this work? How does, how are these things even happening? And, and I just, I just want to, I want to talk about it in, in, in reality. The reality is going and observing it as a program is ridiculous. You don't go and observe discipleship as a program. Do you see what I'm saying here? The reality is that stewardship is not some random catchphrase program that we do. It is in us. It is in my children. I clean the toilets at that grade school twice a semester because that is a requirement because we don't have a janitor. Every parish family must clean the toilets. We have a list of stuff and we participate in the life of the church. But you see, we don't do that because the bishop had some clever capital campaign. We don't do it because all of a sudden we had a couple of priests that were dynamic and went around the diocese and brilliantly presented what stewardship is so that everyone would then jump on board. It happened because we had people who were making disciples and they were living as disciples. I think that it's interesting when I, when I hear Father, and, and I'll tell you what, I loved every minute of that. Because obviously he keeps talking about casting your nets, casting your nets, casting your nets. This is why we are called Casting Nets Ministries. Because it is a constant action of casting out into the deep. And when we start talking about where does the money come from or how does tithing work and everybody wants to reach for their pocketbook every time we hear stewardship... That happens all over the nation. It was glorious to talk to Father Mark. The first time we talked on the phone, I believe he was driving across the state. He just randomly called me up on the phone. And we start talking. And as soon as we started talking about stewardship, you know, we're feeling the waters with each other. And all of a sudden we're like, stewardship and evangelization fit in the same category. And when he said that and I said that, all of a sudden 
it became like a 30-minute conversation after that. Because all of a sudden, we're on the same page. It's not a development program. Because the reality is, think about this. The people in our, that, that are the act, most active givers, right? Now that's time, talent, treasure, whatever it is. The people that are most active in stewardship in your parish. Are they the people who don't believe in God or are really struggling with that? Are they the people that believe in God, but their ears are not quite sure what's going on up here? Are they the people that believe that Jesus existed and maybe, maybe they actually do believe, you know, that this is probably the real presence, they're still working that? Or are they the people that are in love with Jesus Christ? The people that are in love with Jesus Christ, it is a natural, it's a natural thing to give to those whom you love. It is a natural thing to give to Jesus Christ, to the church. You see, our discipleship is where the rubber meets the road. And when we start talking about that, we have to take a really serious look at whether we are participating, whether you and I are participating in the mission of the church. And that is to go out and make disciples. And the first question that I have to ask myself, the first question that I have to ask myself is, am I a disciple? Am I really following Jesus? And I think that that, that tough question, you know, what are the nets we're casting out? What are the deep waters we're afraid of? What are we afraid that we're going to catch? Because if we really start reaching out, and we really start making disciples, if we go all in, our lives are going to change. And change scares the everything out of us. And I understand that I'm talking to a bunch of people who went out of their way to come here. But I think that every one of us in this room, no matter what we do for a living and what we, whether we're here or not, we know there are things that scare every, the living daylights out of us. Especially when it comes to really going all in. You know, when it comes to that going all in and that attitude of discipleship when it comes to stewardship. I look at, uh, at my children and, and, and I have seven children. What? I have seven children. Sometimes it scares me. But I have seven of them from 16 down to 11 months. And I just had to have a conversation last night with my 16-year-old. And I looked at her and I said, are you up to date with your tithing? With your babysitting jobs and the things that you've done, are you up to date with your tithing? Have you given your 10% to the church? She goes, no, I'm getting behind. I go, well, then you don't see stewardship right. We had this real heart-to-heart -heart conversation. A disciple gives the first fruit. Then it becomes my first sacrifice, my first check I write, as soon as I get paid. Then it is my living sacrifice to God, my spiritual worship. Are you letting God be the last thing? He's an afterthought that you're waiting for two months down the road and add it up and I'll pay this bill? Or what are we doing here? And I remember just listening to her and saying, where's your prayer life? Where's your discipleship? How are you getting into this, this, into the boat and following with Christ? 
Where's your prayer life right now? She goes, it's actually really good. I said, then follow it through. That was a tough conversation. It was tough for her. I mean, she looked at me like, wow, you know? And she's, as we go to buy her new shoes, right? As we're going to spend money on her, I'm sitting there having a conversation of the responsible nature by which she worships God through, what? Through her work that she gets compensated for. Are you really in as a disciple? Another way that we use stewardship in our home is that I, I actually uh, teach all of my children. We don't have chores. I don't have chores at my house. But you're the steward of the toilets, and you're the steward of the front carpet, and you are the steward of... And we talk about stewardship. You have the ability and the talent to be able to serve our home and make our home a more pleasant place to live, a more clean place to live. And when we talk about the steward of, of our time, that when we pray together as a family, that we're using our time to worship God. And that we will then pass that on in reference to this being steward of our treasure as well. And maybe if we're supposed to be giving money or we're, we're, we're saving up for a big vacation, but maybe we put that off. Or maybe we change what we're going to do or make one little sacrifice so that we can give that family who just lost, lost a loved one an opportunity. You know, do we, do we talk about that as a family? And we do. But you see, that just simply flows from discipleship. It flows from being in love with Jesus Christ. And I think that the reason why, and, and, and I think some of you might be a little bit squirmy right now, like, this is, this is way over the top. This guy is nuts. Father Mark, who did you invite? This is, this is tough. But I, I guess the reason why I reflect on this is, are we a fan or are we a follower? Do we believe or do we belong? There are a lot of talks out there on fan or follower, believe or belong, right? Have we repented or have we been reformed? Have we decided that I'm going to let him in and form me in his image and likeness? That to, to go deeper in love with him so that when people see me, they see Christ. You think about Mary. The first disciple, she wasn't in love with an idea. She was in love with a person. Are you in love with the idea? Are you in love with a person? And during our little father's couple of questions, which I loved it, that was, that was awesome. Because the reality is that comfortable you know, uh, Pope Benedict said it in Space Salve as well. He said, the world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. And I think that in, in a room full of like-minded people, were you afraid to talk about your Lord and how much you love him? In a room of like-minded people, who will sit there and go, Praise Jesus for that. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story with me. You know, I think that when we're called to go out into the highways and byways and share our faith with the next person, the real litmus test of whether I'm a disciple comes 
of whether I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and share the gospel and stand for truth. And we know there's a lot of non-truth going on out here. I would say flip the TV on, but that's bad advice. Don't flip the TV on. Just hear what everybody else is talking about. But the reality is that we have got to decide. We've got to you know, go all in. And I think that going all in requires what? Requires trust. So those fishermen had fished all night. And this is what they had been trained to do their whole life. They were fishermen. And some carpenter is walking along the beach. He goes, go out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Can you? <laughs> There's no fish out there. You realize how casting nets works? Like you don't go into the deep water to cast a net. This is ridiculous. This carpenter, what is he thinking? And what did they do? They listened, they obeyed. And if we would simply trust in him, imagine the pull. Imagine the catch that comes in. Imagine what happens. You see, if we're serious, if we're serious about discipleship, if we're serious about moving the church forward, we've got to be saints. There's, there's, there's no uh, him hawing around around that. I mean, we've got to strive to be saints. Jesus, as he was walking along, a young man walked up to him, and he was a rich young man. He said, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? So he said, keep the commandments. And the young man said, I have kept these since my birth. I have kept the commandments. I'm a good person. He goes, well, then what I want you to do is go further. I want you to go and sell your things and come and follow me and be my disciple. What he says to him is very simple. Good is not good enough. The gospel never says, be good. The, Jesus never preaches a message that says, be good. He always says, what? Be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect. In Matthew chapter 5. Be perfect, that we've got to strive for that perfection. And the only way we attain that is through his grace, through his sacraments. By going into the box and confessing our sins so that we can be made whole again. So that, we be, so that we can approach this altar and receive him and become one flesh with perfection itself. That we become disciples of who Jesus, of Jesus Christ. We become disciples and we follow him. Because good is not good enough. And we know that the reality is at the end of the gospel, what's he say? He says to his disciples, go and make disciples. So unless we're making disciples, does it even make sense for us to call ourselves disciples? Are we at least listening to what he asked the disciples to do? A disciple is someone who makes disciples. A disciple is someone who's going out and sharing the gospel. 
That's what the disciples were doing. That's what we are called to do. This is, a, this is an obligation that we have. There was a, there was a, a, a horrible video. And by the way, this, um, this guy, he, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Penn Jillette from Penn & Teller. Penn Jillette is a, a radical atheist. He, he thinks religion is the root of all evil. He, even when Mother Teresa was alive, he would say horrible things about Mother Teresa. I mean, he's just a, not a very nice person in, in general. And, and on his blogs and his radio show and his, his magic show and stuff like that, he'll just make fun of religion and all that kind of stuff. And, but there's this one video, and you can go look it up. And it's on YouTube. It's like you can look up Penn Jillette gets a Bible or Penn Jillette Bible or something like that. And he goes on his like video blog, and he talks about how this guy walks up to him and he gives him a Bible. And he stopped and he goes, and this guy was like sane. Like he wasn't even crazy. Because he thinks all people, all of you right now, you're sitting in this, you're all nuts, right? And he goes, this guy was like smart and he was sincere and he was, and in the middle of this video, he just says, he goes, I don't have any respect for a person who believes in a faith and does not try to proselytize. Now, proselytize is a pretty, pretty heavy word, right? I mean, we like to say evangelize or make disciples, right? But because decide, you know, proselytize makes it feel like it's coercion or something like that. But he said, use this example. If I saw, a, if you're standing in the middle of the road and I saw a truck bearing down on you and you are not aware of the truck, I'm going to yell at you, I'm going to scream at you, and at some point I'm going to tackle you to get you out of the way of that truck. And you may be angry with me for tackling, you know, for tackling you. But the reality is that I have an obligation. He goes, but if there's really a heaven and there's really a hell and you're too afraid to tell me how and he says this in the video, he goes, how much do you have to hate me to not tell me the gospel. How much do you have to hate a person to not share the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ with them? The giver of life, the Lord of the universe. If we truly believe, do we then pass that on? I think that it's really important for us to realize that this is, this is true. But it's not always as simple as going and just telling everybody. I, I don't know if anybody's tried it, but you go and you tell your friends, your family, and they go, oh, you're that religious freak, right? You're the one that always wants to talk about religion, especially our brothers and sisters, right? Our children, our grandchildren. It's very frustrating. I think we all have those people. But the reality is that, you know, I think Pope Francis has actually asked us to get messy. Doing the work of discipleship is messy work. It's actually getting into the lives of other people. It's actually looking at them and understanding they're broken. And if you looked at, if you were honest with what Father talked about, the high moments and the low moments, some of those low moments happened this week. Some of those low moments are going to happen next week. When we doubt our faith, and when we doubt our worth, and when we doubt whether or not we're even doing any good 
in the church or for the church. And we look at Jesus and we're like, we've let you down. And there's times when that happens. All of us are broken. That's the point. That our discipleship is, is manifest by pushing ourselves outward to those people that are broken and pray for their healing and pray for them to be a part of our lives and actually walk with them to walk with them. There was a there was a priest um, there was a priest in that I met in Texas. We were down doing a parish mission. And this is a parish that is that was really broken. And when I say a broken parish, it it was reported to me by the parishioners that they had had 20 pastors in 10 years for every scandal in the church that you can even possibly think of and probably more. And they were really struggling as a, as a parish. Beyond that, they also had the largest U.S. immigration sting in U.S. history happen to the people that were within their within their parish. And that included people from Guatemala and Honduras. The, the, the buses just came and loaded them up and shipped them out. And their kids were still in school. Their kids were still in the daycare. The kids were coming home to mom and dad being gone. It was, it was nuts. So what did they do with them? They took them all to the Catholic Church. Because, you know, they're all Catholics. They're Guatemalan and Honduran. So they took them all to the Catholic Church and put them in the community hall, which had no business housing all these kids. So then after all this goes on, then the, the Burmese refugees come in from Burma and they come home. Excuse me, they, they, they are refugees. They drop them off in this city. This is in Dumas, Texas. They drop them all off in Dumas. And they don't teach them how to live in U.S., you know, in our customs. So we're talking about people who don't know how to use a stove, so they tore up the floor so they could get down to the, to the you know, crawl space so they could, you know, have a fire and use the floorboards for cooking. I mean, this, this whole, the, half of the teachers in the school quit because they didn't start teaching, you know, school to teach a seventh grader how to use a toilet. A broken, broken parish. And here we are giving a parish mission, talking about evangelization at, at this level, and eventually we realize we need to be just, let's just hit them, let's just meet them right where they're at. And I remember after we finished, Father pulled them all, you know, we were in the civic auditorium, the, count, you know, the, the city's auditorium because the parish hall was de decimated by the orphans. And, they, and they, he pulls them all, and we form a big circle. And I think, here we go. We're going to sing Kumbaya. Here we go. Like, you never know what's going to happen. You never know. All right? And we just, let's prepare ourselves for what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, this, uh, this statue of Our Lady comes out in the middle of it. And he goes, Father says, Our Lady is the star of the new evangelization. Let's follow her. 
sister and this beautiful sister standing in the corner who happened to formerly be a classically trained opera singer just belts out the Ave Maria. There was not a dry eye. I mean, everyone was just, it was powerful. And I just remember standing there and looking and almost like with an eye of mercy, but an eye of, a little bit of eye of pity. Well, at the same time, Father walks out in the middle as soon as that Ave Maria was over. And he said, in three years, in the last three years since I've been here, and he was a Franciscan priest that is discerning whether he should be incarnated. And, and he just said, I've been here for three years to walk with you. And we've been through tragedy after tragedy. But look where we've come. And all of a sudden he just says, let's keep walking. Just keep walking with me. Let's keep going. Let's keep working. And it was like the battle cry from Braveheart. Like everyone's like, oh! you know, I, I wanted to like move from Wichita and move to Dumas just so I could follow this, this priest. And the people followed him. But why did they follow him? Because he met them exactly where they're at. Because he discipled them. Do you see what I'm saying here? Do you see where we have to get messy? As a teacher, and, and I was a teacher for 15 years, and Chris and I both come from, from the Catholic schools. I, I taught theology at, at two different Catholic high schools in Wichita. And I remember there was, uh, there was a time that I wanted to, to build a deck on the back of my house. Now, I decided to recruit some of the high school boys to come over to my house to help me build my deck. Obviously, I didn't care if it was like straight or plumb, level or safe. I just want, it was cheap labor, it's cheap labor. Pizza, some jalapeno bratwurst, we're good to go, right? And they come over and we're building this deck, obviously, and I'm, I'm not, I actually did want it to be straight. So I, I thought, you know, I'm gonna have them with every screw, like, Hail Mary, full of grace, you know, I'm gonna have them like pray. No, no, I actually, I wanted them to like be focused on the screw going in straight. So we sat there and we built this deck and over the course of the day, one, they saw how I interacted with my wife. They saw how I treated my children. They saw how I worked, right? Because I'm, I'm a real person. I don't just teach theology. And here they are learning from me and living and, and, and spending time with me during the day. And one of the guys looks at me and he says, Mr. Brent, can, um, can I talk to you about my girlfriend? I was like, sure. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. You know, like, now I really got to pray. And he looked at me, and we had this great conversation about him and his girlfriend and how they were struggling. And, and I said, do you love her? And I said, uh, eventually I said, do you want the straight answer or do you want the politically correct answer? Obviously, I think you want the straight answer. That's why you're asking me. And I said, from what I can see, I think that you should break up with her. And when you become the man she deserves, and you can treat her the way you know you'd like to treat her, then pursue her again. But for right now, pursue our Lord. Become a man of God. Become a disciple. And he is like, oh, I knew you were going to say that. God. He went off to Kansas State University and he, every time he would come home, he would come home and hang out with my family. He saw the way I treated my wife. 
He saw my children. And actually, there were times that he'd come over and even babysit for us. My kids called him Bear. Because he wore like bear slippers one time to babysit. And I was like, what? You're nuts. This kid, he, as he went through college, he, he realized that there was something unique. There was something unique about the way that I lived my life in love with my Lord and in love with my wife. The sacrifices of laying your life down for those you, you love. And so he went off to seminary. Out of that, because of that example, he went off to seminary. And he goes on, and as he's at the seminary, he, every time he was home on break, we would sit and we'd talk. We'd sit back on the back deck, and now he's you know, old enough, and so we're having a beer on the back deck that he helped me build. And we just talk about life, spirituality, where, where we are with our you know, relationship with God. Where, where's his progression? Are you still discerning? Be honest with me. Are you still, you still feel called? And sometimes he questioned, sometimes he wouldn't. But it was a great discipleship that was going on. While he was in seminary, some of the things that happened, that started to happen, as he went into major seminary, and he looked around, and all of a sudden, his brother, who was no longer practicing, came back into the church. And his brother's wife went through RCIA. His dad, who wasn't practicing very well, went to Sunday Mass, but that's, that's, that's all I can do. I can, I can sit in the pew. All of a sudden, throughout his seminary years, saw his son sacrificing his life for his Lord. And now is one of the most devout men I know. Do you see how discipleship brings about further discipleship? And praise God, I talked about the ten men that we had ordained to the priesthood. He was one of them this year. I am so proud of him. I am so proud of a man, not because he became a priest, but because he learned and he is now pushing himself outward. He's living out his discipleship. By what? By making disciples. And now he's teaching at one of the high schools in the Wichita Diocese. And he's calling me for my notes. I'm like, come on, dude. I, you took notes in my class. I sent him my hard copy of my notes. And he came over and we went through and we highlighted stuff. We talked about the, the, the tests that they have to take. We talked about all kinds of things. But one of the things he looked at me, I remember, and this happened, by the way, this happened this week. He looked at me and he said, there's some kids in there. They just don't care. I'm like, you're talking about high school kids, right? <laughs> like, he goes, what do I do with them? And I looked at him and I said, what did I do with you? Don't ask me that question. What did I do with you? I took it outside the classroom. We became close friends. We became men who would, would talk to each other about anything, about sports, about the Royals, about the Chiefs. Let's talk about anything under the sun. Let's just become friends. Let's become disciples together and, and walk that journey. And I said, even to the point of what? 
of inspiring them to greatness outside of themselves. Even if it's walking around, and I, I told him this because I had done this, remember this, I would go around the school and I would collect money to buy the kids at the, at the, the family shelter. They weren't going to get Christmas presents. So I walked around with my Halloween pumpkin bucket and collected money from the students. And his senior year, we collected $10,000. And we had an army of kids going to Walmart and just shop and shop and shop. And we had truckloads of stuff brought down to that orphanage or that, that family shelter. I said, that had nothing to do. I didn't, I didn't, was I preaching? Was I going nuts on transubstantiation at that moment? No, but you all of a sudden realize that there's something bigger than yourself out there. You realize the sacrifice it takes to turn outward. You see, these are the examples. These are the examples that we can use. But we've got to live that life and not be afraid of the next person that we hear our Lord asking us to, to invite, to disciple, to mentor, to reach out to, to simply walk the journey with them. That's it, just walk the journey with them. I guarantee you this, as soon as you open yourself up, and many of you already know this, but as soon as you open up the doors and people know that you're willing to listen, there'll be a line. There'll be a line. And you might sit there and go, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not that guy. I, I, I don't have a degree in theology. I don't have, you know, I don't have this great speaking ability. I don't have, you know, you know, all these things. It doesn't matter. Like the people that you have that, that you encounter will start following when you decide to to listen. I remember this week as he left, and we went through. We had that whole discussion as Father Clay. <laughs> I love saying that. As Father Clay left my house, he was walking out to his truck, and I was waving at him like, I need to get back to work. You need to go now. And as he was walking out on the driveway, he looked looked back at me and he goes, and the student becomes the teacher. And I was like, that's discipleship. The student becomes the teacher. To create what? more students who will become teachers. So we're not here for a system. We're not here for a program. We're not going to learn about how Wichita is so amazing because it has all these stats. But we're going to look at why certain things are happening because of the discipleship and the devotion and the prayer life and the turn outward that's constantly happening. You see, this right here, this stewardship that we're, that we're moving forward to serve the church is more about you, me, us, discerning and praying about how to turn outward and constantly asking, who's next? Who's next? I have spent most of my life my adult life with a little note card in my wallet that I simply call the list 
And when I'm in adoration, which is almost every single day, there are names that pop into my head. Lord, are you asking me? Hmm, I'm going to at least write it down. And I'll continue to pray and continue to pray. And then all of a sudden I ran into them for the first time in three years. Huh, your name just came to mind the other day. You want to go to lunch? And all of a sudden you start the journey. These things happen because the Holy Spirit is moving within us. This is how, the, how stewardship and discipleship work in life. If we were all to live this way, and if I would live this way more faithfully, imagine the catch when we lower our nets into the deep. Imagine the catch that will be in our pews. The priests won't know what to do with that. They won't. <laughs> They'll be like having like presbyteral councils about like, how are we going to fit the, we need bigger churches. We need, you know, that's what's going to happen. Lower your nets. Go all in. Become a disciple. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Like the first time. And go share him with everyone you know. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we, we simply live this life for you. May we glorify you by our very lives. May we live out our vocation so as to serve you and praise you and to bring more glory to you. Help us to see more clearly when and where we ought to turn outward. Lord, we pray for all those people that you've put in our lives. We ask that you give us the wisdom to know when to approach them and when to leave them alone. We ask that we can become like Ambrose to St. Monica's prayers, to step in for all those people that may be praying for that person. We ask that we may be more faithful disciples, be more faithful in following you. Strip from us all that holds us back, that keeps us from that perfection so that we can turn outward and win souls for your kingdom. We do all this for your glory, Lord. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. We have a chance now for questions and answers. I've got the microphone, so if you raise your hand, I'll run around and give it to you, and then you can ask your questions. Should I tell him? This is my cousin. <laughs>
Thank you, Mike. When young man, or have you always been, and has Christ always been so alive in your life? Um, no. Um, a, a very, very brief version of my, my testimony, my background, is um, I grew up in an, in an absolutely amazing family. Um, my parents are... In, my parents are, they're living saints, um, very devout. We had, uh, we did missionary work in Venezuela, uh, as Father was talking about, in Guatemala during those 80s years when, when priests were being shipped off to Central and South America. Uh, we were part of that. We, I actually went with my parents down to do work down there. Uh, my parents eventually adopted nine children. Um, there were three of us that were biological, so there were 12 of us total. Uh, and that didn't include the, the other 40 that they had come into our home at one point in time or another. Um, I became very selfish during my later high school years and early college and had rejected most of what my parents had, had taught me. Um, toward the end of my sophomore year, I found myself the leader of the party crowd at my college. I also found myself uh, really disliking who I was to the point of uh, being really depressed. And uh, through uh, seeing my uncle's suicide, um, realized that was not the answer. And I looked to the people around me that had authentic joy. And I really mean joy. Authentic joy, even in the midst of suffering and things like that, the people that were most joyful. The two people that I found were my high school Spanish teacher, whose name was Hermana Maria Mesa, Sister Maria. She was a little four foot, four foot ten Mexican nun. She was nuts, but full of joy. Um, but she was a person of, uh, she, she'd be nuts and she'd be going crazy and all of a sudden in the middle of something she'd just look at you and just, are you okay? You know, like, yeah, you looking at my soul or what, you know? Uh, and, then, and then my mother, who was uh, easily uh, my, my life's greatest hero. Um, the way that she did all of those things for all those children um, she also had a bone disease that crippled her for all of her life and, and excruciating bone pain um, and then was blinded when I was in junior high in a car accident. So I know it sounds like Oprah Winfrey show, but my blind crippled mother did all of that. And in the midst of that, she never complained. And she, she's very joyful. If you meet her, she is incredibly joyful. And she, she said that she had offered up all of her pain during all of those years that I would come back. And when I did, I said, there's, no, there's not going to be a fake bone in me. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this the way that I had rejected it. It was, it was very important to me to, to live it out. So, no, I've always been intense and exciting. <laughs> That's why I was the leader of the party crowd. But uh, it was also uh, what I knew that I could use those talents. Like the grateful response, right? Stewardship, the grateful response of using my talents for the glory of God. So how long have you been in Wichita? Is that where you were from? No, I grew up in, I grew up in, uh, <clears throat> in Wahoo, Nebraska, uh, which is a town about 30 miles north of Lincoln, uh, about 25 miles west of Omaha, and uh, that's where I, I grew up all my life. I went to Benedictine College out of high school. Um, it was a much different place when I went. 
and uh, it went through a big conversion while I was there, along with me. Uh, my roommate, after I had come back, after you know, at the end of my toward my, the end of my sophomore year, when I came back, my roommate and I looked at each other, and uh, and he went through a similar conversion that same weekend. Not, and he was from Oklahoma, and we came back like afraid to tell each other, because. <laughs> He was my right-hand man for the parties and stuff, right? And, uh, and I just remember um, it, was, it was not long after that that uh, as, as he and I um, shook hands and said, I have your back if you have mine. And we decided to take on the college. We decided to take on the people that we could and preach the gospel with our lives and not you know, necessarily shove it down their throats. Um, he went on and now he's the vocations director for the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City and he's a priest and uh, incredibly powerful priest. So uh, he's, he's great. And what happened was immediately after that, um, somebody duped me into going to Wichita to teach for some youth program, like Totus Tuus or something. And uh, that was the summer of 97 and I went down to, uh, to Wichita, Kansas for the first time. And I met the director of Totus Tuus Incorporated, and who happens to be Chris Stewart. And uh, we've been doing ministry ever since together. So that's what led me to Wichita. When I graduated college, then I went to Wichita to teach because they, they had a job. I have a question. Will you, will you um, talk a little bit more about the, the getting messy? Um, you know, uh, you described this parish in um, Dumas, uh, Texas, and all the problems they were facing. And but, can you elaborate on that? Because I think all of us, you know, we, we hear what you're saying. It's like I want to go home and do this. And but we all come from those places mm-hmm. where things are really messy. You know, life is screwed up, and people are um, driven by all kinds of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and to talk about. You know, what are the first steps? What, what do I what do I do when I go home, and and what does that messiness looks like for me as a disciple? Um, when when I think of getting messy, I think the the first thing is that I look around and I see I, I see people, and and I know that maybe you know I can preach a good message, but my life's messy too, right? I'm still a sinner. I mean, I'm still going to confession very regularly and frustrated with myself, right? So I think the very first step is, is recognizing my own sinfulness. Uh, I think that anytime we're going to step into someone's life and we're going to step into, I, I, I want to disciple you or I feel called to that, well, the very first step that I have uh, in mind is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, so that I can realize that it's his grace working through me. And, and I'm not just going in to like, be a fake counselor. And I let them know I'm not a counselor. I, I'm not a trained counselor. I'm not going to fix everything. I just want to walk with you. And, and if you're open to that, I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, getting messy, actually, really it just means, look, it's, it's not a program. And are you willing to get into the person's life and, and work with them and talk with them and maybe just, just listen and cry with them? Um, there's, there's just so many open wounds Everywhere, and I think, you know, Father Mark alluded to that. You know, with, you know, he's got a daddy wound or, or whatever wound they have. Everyone's wounded, and where is where are their wounds? Are we willing to just get into their lives and not be afraid of where that leads us? I will say, as a, as a word of warning to that, is 
make sure that you have a strong structure around you. Um, because once you start getting messy, you have to have a place to re-strengthen yourself. Um, I find that very much so in my wife, uh, who's an incredibly strong, holy woman. Um, but I also find it with Chris. I find it with my closest friends that we get together. But even with those, you know, getting into each other's lives. Getting messy also means, by the way, uh, that I'm going to have to be vulnerable. And nobody wants to be vulnerable. And uh, that's why the interior life is so, so important. Don't go do this without the, an interior life. Pursue Christ at all costs first, then reach out. Um, the number one thing that happens, especially like in youth ministry and, and ministry style organizations and, and things like that, is people burn out very quickly. Because uh, I, have, I have an example of a kid that I mentored and discipled and everything else and became a Catholic priest. Yeah. I also have the kid that walked in and looked at me and he said, I'm done with you and I'm done with him. And he pointed at the tabernacle. And he let, he commit apostasy in my face. <laughs> Boy, that made me want to quit everything and go become a dentist. <laughs> I've always wanted to become a dentist. I don't know why. There's something about dentistry. I don't But I, I, I tell my wife that. I'm like, I just want to go become a dentist. You know? And she looks at me like, oh, keep it, keep going, keep going. But the reality is we're going to lose some. And I, I remember the, we, Chris and I started um, back in 2001. We started a, a young men's group uh, called uh, the Knights of the Holy Queen that was dedicated to uh, discipling young men and, and leading them along the journey and becoming incredibly, you know, just being open to God's will and, and doing it right, right? We wanted real formation and we didn't really care how, how big the group was. We just cared about, like, are we doing the right thing? Are we forming them well? And... Uh, I remember the very first time there was a, a young man who, who quit coming. And he, he wasn't going to church anymore. And he had, he had done the full, total consecration to Mary and everything. And all of a sudden, he left. And I remember talking to our bishop about it. Because our bishop was, was kind of helping us and mentoring us through this. Is Bishop Olmsted. Bishop Thomas Olmsted, now the Bishop of Phoenix. And I remember looking at me and going, who are you? I was like, um... I'm, I'm Tony, you don't remember me? <laughs> he always remembers names. It's like, you, you don't get it. Uh, who do you think you are? Even Jesus lost one. I was like, oh. he goes, stay strong. Stay close to Christ. Stay close to Christ. No matter how messy you get, and the messier you're going to get, stay closer to Christ. Mother Teresa got messy, both literally and physically. Uh, you know, and, and but then also spiritually, she was working with Hindus. She was working with all kinds of people, and I think that that's really where it comes down to: is you know, why are my parents really heroic? Is is because they worked with all kinds of people who had all kinds of baggage and just worked with them right where they're at. Christ got messy. You, you know, he came down. The second person of the divine Trinity became one of us in the mud and the muck and walked with us on this earth. Like, if we can just get ourselves out of ourselves and get into the lives and walk with someone, no matter how down and out they are, uh, you wouldn't believe the souls and the, and the lives that are changed in the midst of that. And maybe it's just a little. 
but is that worth it now as we move? Can you talk a little bit about how how do you start adoration? Get adoration going. Perpetual adoration. That or just probably in our parish, as I could see, hopefully we could get it maybe a couple days a week as mm -hmm. a starter. Probably. Yeah. I, the the biggest thing is is really understanding liturgically how it works and and being very secure with it. Um, it's our Lord, and and you know when we when we look at places like Oklahoma City who had like a really big issue with uh, you know looking at the black mass and things like that not that we need to go down that road but we need to be secure with with our Lord right and there has to be certain you know things in place in order for those kind of things to be happening you know security and, and that besides all that I think that really it becomes just simply just talking um, not only to your pastor but then also looking for the space and looking for the people do we have the proper signups to to fit like 40 hours a week. I know the next parish over from me only has 300 families and they, they do 40 hours a week. They do from you know Monday morning to Tuesday night, 40 hours every single week. It's not necessarily the 40 hours devotion as we, as we know in the church, but it is 40 hours every week that they do it and they have minimum of 40 people, right? To, to be able to be in the presence of our Lord during that time. If exposition and, and the, that type of adoration is not available, um, you know, he's always present in the tabernacle. You know, he's present in the tabernacle for us to go and sit and pray and, and, be, and be in his presence. And I think a lot of times, even though we don't have exposition going on, we don't take advantage of just stopping by the church on the way home to sit in front of uh, the tabernacle. My parish growing up, we had perpetual adoration, but it was never with exposition. It was, there was a perpetual adoration schedule, and people signed up, and it was sitting in front of the tabernacle. Uh, without the, the Eucharist exposed. So um, I think that it's just simply a matter of, of talking to your pastors and, and, uh, and working with them and, and understanding that there are liturgically things that they need to secure in order for it, for it to happen properly. It's a, huge, it's a great devotion to have. And the Lord speaks to us a lot. And I, I really believe that a lot of our vocations can't come... I think one of the biggest reasons why we have so many vocations is because so many of those young men are sitting in those chapels. Um, obviously you come from a, a diocese that is very involved. I think at times I feel discouraged personally that it's the same few, you know, doing things in the church and in the diocese. Do you, can you speak to that? And and it, does it just come down to evangelization, evangelizing each other in that, or, or mm -hmm. what's what's the answer? You know, I, th I think every priest in here could probably attest that the ten, same ten percent do everything in every department of every diocese in the whole nation, um, and Wichita is no exception to that. You know, we're a very active diocese, but same ten percent seem to be at every you know activity and every leading every everything that's going on. Um, I think that the reality is that that we need to be more engaged and not just inviting people just in general, but more engaged in saying, hey, I'm going to be going to do 
X, Y, and Z, would you come with me? And involving more people by, by building that relationship. Sometimes that discipleship isn't looking at some person that they, you think is like down and out and man, they cashed in their chips and I'm going to go, I'm going to go save their soul. But really a lot of times it's just looking at the person next to them that has never been invited to go help clean the church. They've never been approached. And I'm going to clean the church, so I'm going to go ask them if they would like to come vacuum the church after, you know, Sunday Mass. You know, that's not hurting anyone, you know, and it involves them. And I think that, I think our churches simply need to be more communicative with each other. And, and, and being willing to, to step out of ourselves and, and be a part of each other's lives. Um, that's probably the best answer that I, that I can give. I know that there, I've seen parishes where it's, it's thriving, you know, that like there's so many people involved and, and I, I see those parishes every once in a while as I travel around the nation going parish to parish, doing parish missions. Um, but it seems like when you really get down to it, it's still the same, same people, right? And they, but there's great efforts being made. And I think the reality is that if we make a parish-wide effort of that 10% to say, let's all invite one other couple. Now you got 20%, you know? Like it's... Simple math, right? You know, but I think well, a lot of times we're just afraid to invite. And it's a lot easier, by the way, to just do it myself. That's, at least that's the way I am. I'm like, I can get this thing vacuumed in no time. But if I brought my kids, it's going to take me three times as long. But it's going to teach my kids a lesson, right? But sometimes that includes bringing another family with their kids along, which takes six times as long, you know, but... I think we have to we have to learn to have a spirit of invitation, a spirit of a, a spirituality, of listening and discerning and inviting, uh, constantly within our churches. Any other questions? That was truly inspirational. Thank you. Thank you. It was a wonderful, wonderful presentation. I guess what I appreciate when I think about it is so much of what he told us with that great energy and enthusiasm is things we've heard before through our own stewardship office and through our own bishop. And so I just want to tell everybody in, in the world that the Rapid City Diocese is on the way. We aren't starting out at ground zero. We've got a, we've got a lot of stuff and a lot of a lot of spirit and a and a lot of liveness going on in our parish, parishes and in our diocese. You just have to keep working at it um, because, as you said, it's not about it's about it's about the perfection. It's not about you know just a little bit. It's about everything. So thank you much for that, Tony. We look forward to hearing Chris tomorrow and the rest of our presenters. Um,